Welcome to New City's Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. My name is John Holmes. I'm the lead pastor here at New City Fellowship. We are in the season of Advent. If you look at, if you look up uh, on Google the church calendar, there is different seasons that the church celebrates, and the one that we're in right now is Advent, which means an arrival or a coming, where we celebrate the first coming of Christ as we look forward to the second coming of Christ. And during Advent, one of the things that the church does is we light candles that represent different themes. They represent these words of hope, joy, peace, and love, four different words. And the last one is Christ, the white candle. But over the next four or so Sundays, we're going to be exploring just those four words, hope, joy, peace, love, and then fifth, Christ. And so if you want to experience that on a deeper level, one of the things you can do is go to our website, and if you can show the little slide we have some Advent readings and devotionals, and on the slider, you can just see where to go on our website. You click on the blog, and if you go on the blog, you'll see a devotional for each week. So if you want to get up in the morning and sort of go, how do I connect hope to my daily life? We've tried to give you just a short little thought, and we'll do that throughout Advent every day. You can get out through the week and do that. Um, we're going to watch a brief video to kind of stir your imagination about hope now from the Bible Project. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find this same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. 
Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kava for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kava for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. We're looking at John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, uh, the very beginning of the Gospel of John, where John talks about the coming of Christ. But it, even as we open this passage and explore the theme of hope, one thing you'll notice is the word hope is actually missing from our passage. And I'll explain why we chose it for tonight, even though there is no hope in the passage. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And it was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, 
who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me before he existed before me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. The Word of God. As we talk about hope, I want to ask you a question. What story are you in? What sort of story do you believe you were living in? Maybe just the past week, or maybe the past year, or maybe your whole life. You know, as we think about our own lives and what kind of story we're living in, I'm sure some of us would say, gosh, life is so crazy, I must be in a comedy. Even if things are bad or things are good, at least life is funny and entertaining, right? So I'm in a comedy. Other people would be afraid that they're living in a tragedy. You know, tragedies, you know how they end. Tragedies end tragically. And I think some of us worry that at times we're living in a tragedy where things are not going to work out the way we want. At, at least life offers a little drama. At times, we're always living in a drama where things go up and things go down and we don't know what's around the corner. I want to tell you about a friend who didn't realize what story he was in. Last week, we had Pastor Malcolm Basse from Togo in West Africa here, and Malcolm was reminding me of a very funny story. Uh, one of our leaders from our previous church in St. Louis was this guy named Steve. And Steve went to West Africa with Malcolm. And Steve, you have to know about Steve is he is exuberant and joyful all the time. Like if Steve walks in the rooms, this is like just a little impression of him. Hey, Jesus loves you. He died for you. Isn't it awesome that he resurrected from the dead and that we get to believe in him and all our sins are forgiven and we get to give our lives away for his kingdom? Come on, let's give all our money to the poor and live for Jesus. And like all of a sudden your wallet's empty and you're like, what just happened? But that's Steve. He literally is like that all the time. And one time when Steve was in West Africa with Macklin, they heard that they were going to have to stop at a special church service. And this is pretty typical. In West Africa, people just go to church on odd times besides Sunday. So this wasn't anything surprising. But Macklin took Steve into the church. And Steve went into this church just being Steve. Hey, everybody, Jesus loves you. It's so great to meet you. Blah, 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 blah. And Steve was sort of playing on getting up and, and just getting a word of encouragement, which was very normal. So Steve kind of works the room for about 10 minutes, and then they sit down in a pew, and one of the other pastors with them says, Hey, Steve, I need you to read the room. The reason this is a special church service, look up front, is because there's a coffin up front. And all of a sudden, Steve realized that he hadn't understood what kind of story he was in. Now, it was a tragedy because there was a coffin and people were mourning, but looking back, it's sort of a comedy because Steve was just being Steve, and you wonder what this silly American was doing, running around the room, encouraging everybody, not realizing that he was at a funeral. I think when we think about being a hopeful person, we might kind of think about it like Steve, like, come on, read the room. Life is pretty challenging. Uh, optimism really doesn't cut it. When we think about hope, we may even think about 
hopefulness and naivety. Like Steve was naive about what was going on, and that allowed him to be hopeful. What one author calls hope, we think of it as wishing for adults. Right? I hope I meet that special someone. I hope my car doesn't break down. I hope the Dolphins make it past, past the first round of the playoffs. Like, we all have these things that we hope. And I think because of that, most of us walk around a little bit hopeless, living in like disenchantment and despair. Disenchantment is this view that like everything's problematic, right? Like whether it's dating or politics or the media or the way college football picks the playoffs, like everything is broken and it's not going to get better. And so we're disenchanted with everything, but then we also struggle with despair. And despair is coming to the conclusion that there's nothing you or anyone else can do to fix anything. Everything's just broken. And so rather than being people of hope, we sort of live in this darkness of disenchantment and despair. The author J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, said, you know what story we're in? The story the Bible tells us that we're in, and he coined this term, the term is called a you-catastrophe. You-catastrophe. Now, you know what a catastrophe is. A catastrophe is an unexpected disaster or darkness that you can't stop, you can't fix, you can't wipe away. And we recognize this if we look at the first three uh, chapters of the Bible, where God created the world good, and then sin slams creation to the ground and infects everything. The, the curse of sin spreads throughout all of creation. But, but Tolkien said, it's not just a catastrophe, it's a catastrophe, And that prefix you means good. In other words, something comes into the story that's unexpected. That causes a great reversal from bad to, to good. That, that, that shows up. It doesn't make the catastrophe go away, but redefines everything by bringing the surprising goodness in the midst of darkness. That's because we live in a story of darkness. But Advent reminds us that we're in a story where light breaks into the darkness. In fact, if you read the Gospels in the beginning where Jesus is born, it's all dark, and then there's light. The shepherds are out of the field at night. You know, there's no light pollution from the city. It's dark out there. And then the angels show up and announce the birth of Jesus into the darkness, lighting up the Bethlehem outskirts to announce the birth of Jesus. Light in the darkness. And then when the wise men come, the reason that they come is they're examining the darkness in the sky and they see this unusual star with a special light. See, in, in the story of Jesus, it's all about darkness and this light breaking through. We live in a story of darkness, but light breaking into the, star, the darkness because God himself has written himself into our story. What John is saying in this passage is that the one who spoke light into existence at the creation has now entered creation. God has written himself into our story in the person of Jesus. Listen to how he says it in verses 4 through 5 and 9. In him was life, and Jesus was life, and that life, the life of Jesus, was the light of men. 
That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus, the light of the universe, comes into our darkness as a baby, as the one and only God, fully God, fully human, the one who created the stars and sustains the stars, enters in as light, but born into a manger and a state. Jesus is the light that's breaking into our darkness. If you're like me, you might ask the question, why is it still so dark? We look around and our world is full of war, and I know that your lives are full of pain and challenges and trials. Well, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that the reason the world is still so dark is not because of the absence of God's light in Jesus, but rather because we as human beings have rejected God's light in Jesus. When Jesus comes, he's largely unrecognized for who he is. And the majority of people do not worship him and do not follow him. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, Christmas is not about the living God coming to tell us everything's all right. John's gospel isn't about Jesus speaking the truth and everyone saying, of course. Why didn't we realize it before? It's about God shining his clear, bright torch into the darkness of our world, our lives, our hearts, our imaginations in the darkness, not comprehending it. It's about God. God is a little child speaking words of truth and nobody knowing what he's talking about. See, as human beings, we actually prefer darkness or light. We prefer to rule ourselves. We prefer our own spiritual autonomy. Now, when Jesus comes, we, we prefer to say, Jesus, shine your light over there with those people but I'm okay over here. So there's something about us that, that prefers darkness, or even this, we think light can come from ourselves. We think, as long as I think positive, as long as I have uh, optimism, then light will come from me. But our hopes are way too small. Because the best we can do with optimism is think positively to change our individual lives when the world and the cosmos is broken. So the best we can do is change our individual lives and blame someone else for the problems of the world. But Jesus sees the pervasive darkness of our world and is not intimidated at all. In fact, the song we sing, Joy to the World, says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He, Jesus, comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Every square inch of the creation that is infected by the virus of sin, Jesus sees, he's not intimidated, he's come to shine his light into that darkness. So the best we have of human beings by ourselves is thousands and thousands of years of killing each other, of grabbing for power, of blaming others, because we are completely helpless in the dark without God's light. But the good news is, is that Jesus came for helpless people. We live in a story of helplessness, but the story of Advent reminds us that grace comes to the helpless. As we move to help each other, the best we can really do with each other is, is 
It's kind of work out our pain with each other. In the midst of relationships, you will experience brokenness from me and brokenness from everyone else. If you get married, you don't marry the perfect spouse. You marry someone who's fallen just like you. And as you work that out, you, you kind of realize that we're just trying to work our pain out with each other. And the response we often have is fight, flight, or freeze. We're, we're sort of stuck in the present or the baggage of the past. We're working our pain out as we engage each other. But Jesus comes with nothing to work out, but rather to heal. Because he's full of grace. John goes on to say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Us helpless people in the dark. We observe his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the great for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus sees a world of helpless, hurting humans in the dark who cannot do what God asks on their own who can't help each other without hurting each other. And he enters into that. Why? Because he's full of grace. Jesus has nothing to work out. He has nothing to work on. He comes simply to serve us broken people. Because he's full of grace. Every human that Jesus encounters will cause him pain, even though he fully loves that other human being. His disciples will abandon him at the cross. The crowds will use him and try and position him for their will at during his life. Even though his own parents don't fully understand who Jesus is when he is born, yet he still comes because he's full of grace. He's full of grace. Grace is so core to the theme of what it means to be a Christian because Jesus comes based on grace. It was so life-changing for the Apostle Paul to understand the grace of Jesus because Jesus appeared to him when Paul was at his worst, killing Christians and proud of it. Paul's life was completely changed when Jesus showed up to him so that he won't stop talking about grace throughout the rest of the New Testament. He goes on and on about it. He says, we're justified freely by grace. We stand in grace. We have the riches of God's grace. The grace of God appeared in Jesus for helpless people. We live in a story of helplessness, but grace comes to the helpless because Jesus comes full of unmerited, unconditional, counterintuitive grace. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, something you need to know about Jesus, the very core of what we believe, is that Jesus loves to come to the helpless. He loves it. There's something in him that does not exist in me or you. He sees people in pain, he sees broken people, he sees helpless people, and his desire is to move towards them love. Because he's full of grace. That's who he is. And so for us, we should see that we live in a story that is hopeless in and of ourselves, but full of hope because Jesus came. We're in a story of hopelessness, but a story where hope is announced to the hopeless. Now, I said in this passage that hope is not mentioned once. But you can't read it and not have hope. You can't read it and not have hope because the hope comes not that our individual circumstances 
principle change. Rather, hope comes knowing that someone who's not like us entered in and lived with us. Someone who's not sinful, someone who's perfect, someone who's righteous, someone who's loving, someone who's gracious entered in. And he comes not hoping that his life will get better, but rather he enters in completely to die for you and me. That's why he came. And so the hope for us isn't that little tweaks in our life will make things better. Rather, the hope comes from knowing that someone who's not like us came to us. Jesus sees a world of disenchantment and despair and darkness, and he says, I'm in. I'm not afraid. I'll come near. He sees us. He cares for us. He died for us. He rose again for us, and he will come back for us. And that means that he sees you. He cares for you. He died for you. He rose again for you. And if you trust in him, he will return again for you. And you will be with him when he banishes darkness forever. If you want hope to go deeper, you have to ask yourself a question. What is my deepest hope? What is the greatest hope in my life? And if you find that it's something else besides hope in Jesus, you'll find that you're actually telling something different about your own story. Rather than seeing as yourself as in a story of hope in Jesus, you will find that you tend towards darkness, despair, disenchantment. Because everything but Jesus, everything in this world besides Jesus is perfect. And so if you really want hope to go deeper into your heart, you have to ask yourself, what am I replacing Jesus with in my life? What story do I keep telling myself I'm in? What is my deepest hope? And then replace that hope with the hope of Christ. As the worship team comes up, I want to remind you that hope isn't simply a naivety about the darkness or even a wishing that things would get better. Hope is not just a change for a hope in uh, change in circumstances. Hope is not just positive thoughts. Hope is a person. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus looks to us and it's as if he says to us, in me is life. And that life is the light for all humanity. I will shine in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome me. And so we sing, Come, thou long expected Jesus, knowing he came once and entered into our mess and darkness, but knowing he will come again one day and manage darkness forever. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week.